Welcome to the first episode of Talking Mopars. I felt that it was only fitting that on the launch of this podcast, I tell the story behind the launch of one of the most influential Mopar muscle cars of all time, the 1968 Plymouth Roadrunner. We're also going to discuss a little SEMA 2019, my project car pick of the week, and we're going to briefly discuss the idiot who crushed a 1970 Dodge Charger because the internet made him mad. We'll also talk a little bit about the podcast and take a forward look at what you can expect from it. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. We are firing on all cylinders here at Talking Mopars, and I'm excited. I'm excited because this podcast is a new venture for me. I started a little Facebook page called The Mopar Hunter four years ago in the summer of 2015. I did it just to share my love of Mopars, and eventually I got to... I guess I should probably start off by saying that I am obsessive-compulsive when it comes to looking at cars for sale. If you see me looking at my phone or on the computer, nine times out of ten, I'm looking at cars that I can't buy, (laughs) Uh, if I'm being honest. I just, ever since I was a kid, I was addicted to it, you know? I was like, when I saw Joe Dirt, the movie, and he was looking at auto traders, I was like, dude, that's me. That's me. That was me as a kid. I used to have stacks of auto traders. I'd buy the old car trader. You you guys remember Deals on Wheels? I bought that magazine too. Anywhere I could see cars for sale, I would be. You know, I had my dad. My dad and I would go to car dealerships and just, you know, like classic car dealerships and just look at cars, you know, talk cars. It was one of my favorite childhood pastimes, going to car lots with my dad and just looking at cars. And that followed me all the way into adulthood because when Craigslist came out, I it sounded and looked like a joke. I was like, Craigslist? What? And once I went down that rabbit hole, I was like, oh, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. You mean I don't have to pay for this like Auto Trader? And it's free? And okay. So... Down the rabbit hole I went, and I became obsessed with looking for Mopars nationwide. And it got to the point where it was consuming so much of my time, I was like, well, I guess I better share this with people because my wife can only handle so much Mopar talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? She can only handle so much. I'm, I'm just, I'm annoying. You know, when it comes to Mopars, I'm annoying. I'm sure all my non-Mopar friends are like, God, this guy with this stupid Facebook page. He never shuts up about Mopars. And for those of you guys listening, deal with it. (laughs) So yeah, I started the page and started sharing these cars that I was finding. And the next thing I know, I have 100 people that like the page. And 100 turned into 500, and 500 turned into 1,000, and 1,000 turned into 5,000, and 5,000 turned into 10. And now we're pushing 25,000. 25,000 people that follow 
a page I started sharing Craigslist ads. I think that's remarkable, and I appreciate every single one of those people that are real, because I know some of them are fake, and I thought it would be fun to start a podcast about Mopars. Because being a podcast listener myself, I listen to a bunch of different podcasts, and I really like the automotive podcasts. There's only one problem. I could not find one that talked about Mopars all the time. I've consumed probably every Mopar-related episode there is in the world of podcasting. So once that well ran dry, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to do something about this. And I thought it would be fun. So here we are, Talking Mopars, the podcast. And, you know, I, I created this podcast to be your direct connection to all things Mopar in the world of podcasting. So that if you listen to podcasts, maybe you're new to podcasts. Welcome. They're fun. They help your day go by faster. You know, I listen to podcasts all day at work. You know, they help my, you know, 10, 11 hour days go by real quick. And if you're new to podcasting, welcome. We're happy to have you. Enjoy the content and, you know, participate. You know, this podcast is going to be a platform not only for me to talk Mopars to you, but I want to hear your stories. If you have a compelling Mopar story, you know, whether it's an old racing story, maybe you have a great story about saving an old Mopar or finding a Mopar in a field, talking the guy out of it, you know, maybe you've been working on a project car for 10 years and it's finally done and you took it to your first car show this summer, you know, and you won a trophy. Cool stories. I want to hear them. You can reach out to me at talkingmopars.com. That's the website for the podcast where you can listen to the podcast. All you got to do is go to talkingmopars.com and press play. You can download the episodes. You can see where you can subscribe to the show. Um, I'm trying to get this podcast available in as many places as possible. So if you don't see it, let me know where you're trying to find the podcast and that you couldn't find it, and I'll try to get it posted there as well. But you can reach me at my email, which is chris at talkingmopars.com, and tell me your story. And if your story is compelling enough, I want to interview you on this show. Because if you guys are like me, I love to hear Mopar stories. You know, I can't get enough. So I guess that leads me into one thing that I'm really excited about as far as this show goes. And that is direct connections. Direct connections are going to be conversations with people who I feel are the movers and shakers in the Mopar community. Now, this could be restoration technicians, Mopar-related business owners, you know, influencers, and the list goes on. And it includes you. Like I said earlier, if you got a cool Mopar story, I want to hear it. You know, I'm going to tell mine. You're going to tell yours, and we're all going to be entertained, because that's what this is about. If you're entertained by Mopar stuff, this is the show for you, let me tell you. I will disclose that I am not a professional speaker. You're going to hear ums, you're going to hear ahs, all sorts of stuff that you probably shouldn't be hearing on a broadcast, but that's okay, because I'm not perfect, like my Mopars. They're not perfect either. So if you're looking for that, get out. No, I'm just kidding. Um. And there's one. <laughs> so moving on, 
the premise of this show, like I said, is to be about all things Mopar. So we're going to cover from the forward look all the way to the modern era of today. You know, no Mopar left behind. We're, we're going to talk, you know, 80s turbo Mopars. We're going to talk 10 grill Dodge trucks. If you don't know what a 10 grill Dodge truck is, look it up. Get it, get in, get in the fold. <laughs> you know, I think, hey, listen, this is a, I didn't want to mention this on the show. Not this early in the podcast, but let me tell you something. All you C10 guys, watch out. Because the swept lines and the tin grills were coming. Mark my words, in the next few years, the old Dodge truck movement is going to grow. And pretty soon, the C10s are going to have some competition. I promise you. I promise you. There was a couple swept lines at SEMA this year. That, uh, and I'm a Mopar guy, so I'm biased, but I think they stole the show. One of them was the swept line that Mopar brought, the low liner. That thing, man, that thing was cool. I'll tell you that. Uh, 5.9 Cummins swap, six speed, tilt front end, air ride suspension, beautiful paint, fully shaved, because that's how we like them. Uh, that truck was, it was a work of art. Another notable mention would be, uh, you guys probably saw the other swept lines a little patinaed out. It's owned by at slammed underscore 64s on Instagram. That's a beautiful truck. You know, if I had to, if I had to rank them, the only reason why I would rank the Mopar truck higher is because they had me sold when I found out that the bed that they put in, this is how stupid I am. When they put the bed of a newer Ram in the old swept line, I was like, oh, what a cool detail. That kind of stuff I think is awesome. You know, that there was so much done to that truck. When it comes to SEMA, you know, you get some builds that are kind of eh, but builds like the low liner and Slam 64s, those swept lines, man, whoo, they're game changers. I'll tell you that. I know that there's a lot of truck builders, you know, a lot of C10 guys, a lot of F100 guys that saw those trucks and they were like, oh gosh, here we go. We've got some competition. So, you know, sorry, fellas, takes a Mopar to catch a Mopar. So, we'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in all seriousness, SEMA 2019, there was a lot of cool Mopars there. Uh, another notable mention Speedcore, that Hellcat Charger, the carbon fiber. All-wheel drive, twin-turbo, 1,500-plus horsepower Dodge Charger. You know, I saw a lot of jokes about it, like, oh, hey, has that one got a cage in it? <laughs> you know, does it got harnesses? You know, because of the whole Kevin Hart thing, he had a Speedcore. He bought the Speedcore Cuda. And I'm sure you've all heard the story. He got in the wreck. Supposedly, he wasn't driving. You know, and the, that whole story. Oh, my gosh. I could do a whole podcast on that idiot story. You know, I don't call Kevin Hart an idiot, but let's be honest. He did something pretty stupid, and now they're pointing fingers. And anytime lawsuits are talked about when it comes to custom cars, like, it didn't have the safety specs that a normal car would. Well, hey, hey, no kidding. <laughs> you know what I mean? But. Moving on, 
another notable car at SEMA 2019 was the Rampage that Arrington Performance brought. Oh my God. <laughs> talk about going, talk about thinking outside the box. You know what I mean? Who would have thought in 2019 someone would bring a Dodge Rampage? You know, and so, some of you Mopar guys are going, what's a Dodge Rampage? It's okay. It's okay. You know, we're all about learning here. <laughs> a Dodge Rampage is basically like the El Camino of old Mopar trucks. <laughs> I don't even know if you get their car trucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but they were not powered by V8s. They were powered by four cylinders. And they were front-wheel drive. So that's interesting. But Arrington brought their car, their Rampage, to SEMA. And this car was called the Outrage. And it was powered by a 650 horsepower 392 Hemi. Mid-engine. You know, this thing is insane. Sitting on 18-inch wheels. It was insane. And I applaud those gentlemen, for a fantastic build, and like I said, for just building outside the box. You know, it's it's refreshing to see vehicles that you wouldn't expect at an event like SEMA. You know, it just shows that there's still, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, all this is out, uh, this is all played out, you know, because you start seeing the same things over and over again. But then you get something like the outrage that Arrington brought. And man, it gets a lot of people talking, I'll tell you that. And I, I applaud him. So moving on from SEMA, um, like uh, I guess I should just reiterate, my favorite vehicle at SEMA 2019 was the Lowliner. So to all the guys at Mopar, congratulations. That was a stunning truck. And, you know, thank you. A lot of people were a lot of people were disappointed in the reveal of the car under the cover, which ended up being a Dodge Challenger drag pack. So the new drag pack offering for drag racers. And here are my thoughts on it. Okay. A lot of people were complaining that, you know, oh, just another challenger. Oh, not available for the street. Can't drive it. Just another car I can't afford. You know, I get it. I get it. You know, you wanted to see something for the street. But listen, what has Dodge and SRT and Mopar brought us in the past few years? We've had the Hellcat. We've had the Hellcat Red Eye. We've had the Demon. We've had the Trackhawk. We've had the Elephant Crate Engine. You know, they've brought us a lot of cool stuff. And while I understand the frustration, uh, me personally, I want to see a CUDA. Bring back the CUDA. I don't know how. I have a couple ideas. Mopar, get at me. Um, bring back the CUDA or something cool. You know, that's what I'd like to see. But I was, was I disappointed that it was the drag pack? Not really. I mean, I had hoped for a CUDA. That's what I was hoping for. You know, if I'm being honest, that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping that somehow... There was a CUDA underneath that thing, even though it looked like a Challenger. You know what I mean? But, you know, I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was cool. The drag pack's cool. A lot of... I saw some stuff about people knocking the graphics and stuff on it. Man, give me a break. <laughs> you know? So, it is what it is. Love it or hate it. Cool. 
Mopar, no car. Yeah, those are my thoughts on SEMA 2019. Moving on. I really want to talk about uh, this car that I saw on Craigslist that I posted on Saturday. Uh, It's a 1971 Dodge Demon for $11,900. It's a four-speed car. It's got a 360 small block in it. I'm looking at the ad right now. The car looks pretty solid. You know what I mean? It's on some slotted mags. Pretty cool. Uh, It's got the uh, adjustable spring hangers in the back. So you can jack it up sky high. But 360 small block, four-speed manual transmission, power steering, manual brakes, headers, dual exhaust, runs, drives, stops, very solid, no major rot, always stored indoors. They always say that. Um, Pulled out of a collection of Mopars that have been sitting in the garage for many years. They always say that. (laughs) Recent oil change and new starter. Needs very little to be roadworthy. Transferable registration in hand. Possible trades for cars and trucks, 72 and older GM or Mopars. 11,900 firm. You might be able to get this car for 10 grand. You know, I, I like solid Mopar projects that are close to running and driving. For some reason, I never buy them like that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. This car spoke to me. I thought it looked cool. It's black on black. You know, it appears to be the original color. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to see it in person. It's so hard to tell in these pictures sometimes. Um, but the car looks fairly solid. And for an entry level price of eleven thousand nine hundred, just under twelve grand, you know, a little bit to get it on the road. I think it's a good buy. You know, and there's probably a lot of people out there listening right now that are going twelve thousand for an A body. Hey, they're only getting more expensive. This is not nineteen eighty five anymore. We have to remember that. You know, I have a nineteen sixty nine Dodge Dart project car. I bought it for fifteen hundred bucks. No motor. No transmission, barely any interior. You know, the front seats were gone. I had a back seat, no carpet. One of the door panels was missing. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that project car in another episode, but I paid fifteen hundred dollars for that car and I've been gathering parts for it ever since. And believe it or not, I'm getting close to that, you know, five figure mark. <laughs> you know, that's insane to me. You know, I'm thinking to myself, how long have I had this car? Okay, how much money do I have into it? Okay. All right, well, we've gone too far now to sell it. <laughs> so, you know, 12000 for a car that by all, you know, initial, initial appearance, it looks solid enough where I'd be like, okay, you know, I could probably have this car running and driving safely on the road for about an extra grand. You know, so you buy the car at, we'll say, eleven nine. You know, you're looking at just under 13000 for a running and driving Mopar that you can enjoy. You know, that's, that's a good deal if you ask me. But, you know, I've looked at thousands of these cars. And I don't see the prices getting any cheaper. And they're only going to get more rusty the longer they sit outside. So, if you find one that looks solid for a decent price... You know, as long as you're not, if you're in the flipping game, that's a whole different ball game. You know, you're flipping cars. That's where you get into the, uh, you know, ROI, the return on investment. You know, how much are you going to put into it? How much are you going to get out of it? That kind of, that kind of way of thinking, you got to find the right cars for that kind of stuff. 
you know, I'm looking at these cars more as not all of them, of course, but like cars like this, I look at like, okay, this would be a fun little cruiser, you know, something maybe to take to the track and have a little fun with, you know, nothing that I would expect to ever win a show or anything like that, but something to just have some fun with, you know, why can't we just have fun? Why does everything have to be a show car? So that's my project car pick of the week. Tell me what you think. You know, you're probably going to probably going to bash it, <laughs> but that's that's okay. That's what this game. Everybody's got an opinion. You know, none of us are going to agree on everything. And that's cool too. So, that's my project car pick of the week. Moving on, I I only want to touch on this subject briefly before we get into the story of the Roadrunner. I want to briefly discuss the idiot who crushed a 1970 Dodge Charger because the internet uh, made him mad. Okay? This guy, who will not be named. I don't want to give this moron any more publicity than he's already got. Super aggressive guy. I, I, I watched the video. I only had to watch it once. And I realized, oh, this guy's a D-bag. He's a douche. And guys like him that end up with these cars do douchey things. So apparently, from what I gather, I didn't do too much research on the story because it wasn't worth my time. This guy was mad because he posted this car for sale and he was getting low ball offers and, you know, the, the typical stuff you would get if you posted a car that was a rot box for an exuberant amount of money or what some people would deem an exuberant amount of money. You know, so you get backlash for that kind of stuff. You know, the Internet is unforgiving, just like I'm about to be unforgiving to that tool. Okay. So, he thought it would be cute because he was fed up with everybody getting a hold of him and either not being serious or lowballing him. You know, you put your information on the internet, it's going to happen, dude. Expect it. So, he was upset. He was upset. The internet hurt him. So, he thought it would be fun to take the car to the wrecker instead of selling it. To somebody who could have used it as a parts car or could have found a use for it, I'd imagine. You know, maybe someone really wants a 70 Dodge Charger and it was in their price range. And you know what? They're going to buy it and they're going to put all the money they have into it. And it's not going to be worth even close to what they have into it. But that's okay because they're in it for the experience, not the money. Now, from what I gather, this guy bought the car to flip it. You know, that's what I'm, from what I understand. Now, I could be wrong, but he bought the car to flip it. And when he realized he wasn't going to get the money out of it, he thought, you know what? I'm going to teach him. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to teach him all a lesson. Pay attention. Pay attention. And he crushed the car. <laughs> and here's the fun part he didn't even have the balls to do it himself. He was behind the camera. Hey, not cool, dude. Not cool. In fact, when I watched the video, I was just like, oh, this guy. I, the first thing I thought of was, why does this moron, this moron, even have this car in the first place? You know, hey, don't, don't deal with Mopars if you're a douchebag. I'm trying to weed some of those guys out. <laughs> 
I have a no tolerance policy for douchebags. And you know what? I don't have a problem saying that to your face. You know what I mean? If that guy, <laughs> let me put it to you this way. If that guy did that and I was there, first of all, I would have said, hey, how much do you want for the car? You know, this is a piece of American car culture history and you're going to crush it because the internet hurts your feelings. How much is it going to take to get the car off your hands, dude? You know what I mean? But he probably would have been a douche and crushed it anyway. And, you know, it's his car. He can do what he wants. I just think it was a douchey move. I don't think he got anything for the car. What, scrap metal price? What, scrap metal? 10 cents a ton? (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't really know, but I just, I think that car could have served a better purpose than a Facebook video. You know, some views. I just thought it was a really low move. You know, there's probably a kid out there whose dream car is a 1970 Dodge Charger. You know, he's not a rich guy. You know, or maybe she. Maybe maybe it's a girl that's into cars. And her dream car is a 1970 Dodge Charger. And now there's one less. Because this tool had to crush it. To prove a point, shut up. In the video, he's like, This is what happens. This is what happens. Every time that guy opened his mouth, I imagined myself taking a warm hand to his stupid face and slapping him. <laughs> you know? God, I, 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 that's the only, every time he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to mute this because I can't stand this guy's voice. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. You know, maybe the guy's a nice guy. I don't know, but he really did a douchey thing. And for that, I'm going to call him an idiot. So, like I said, it's sad because maybe there's a kid out there or a youngster, you know, that's into Mopars that maybe just wants to learn on something, something other than a car that, you know, they don't want to learn on a $20,000 driver quality car because if they mess it up, then, you know, they must, they messed up a nice car. You know, maybe they want to learn body work and, you know, the restoration process with a car that's really, really in bad shape. Because, hey, if they mess it up, it was already it was already a piece of crap. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I just thought it was a really bad move. I thought that that car could have served a better purpose. But, you know, like I said, it's his car and he's a douche. Moving on. Let's talk about the Roadrunner. In the spring of 1967... A product planning manager at Chrysler Plymouth named Jack Smith was given a task. He had a few months to create a car that was built for a specific purpose, to offer high performance at a low price, and he only had a few months to do it. This man would go on to be known and remembered in the Mopar world as the father of the Roadrunner. This man was Jack Smith. So first and foremost, Jack Smith, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for the Mopar community. The Roadrunner is an amazing car. And without you and your team, it would have never it would have never happened. So thank you. Jack and his team pulled off in a matter of months what I consider to be one of the most impactful launches in muscle car history, the birth of the Roadrunner. How about that? One of the most recognized muscle cars of all time was named after a cartoon bird. A cartoon bird. 
<laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but it ended up it ended up being the perfect name for the perfect car. So it was spring of 1967, and for the 1968 product lineup, Chrysler wanted to create a low-budget performance car to attract youthful buyers. So, you know, the whole high-performance, low-price, they wanted to get the attention of the younger buyers because, you know, when you're talking about performance cars, you're looking at the the top-of-the-line vehicles at the time. You know, and a lot of the young kids, they didn't have that kind of money. You know, so Chrysler wanted to aim aim towards getting those, you know, that's their target market were these kids. And at the time, you know, everybody, the muscle car craze was really picking up steam. So this car, they had a couple of parameters. It had to have over 300 horsepower. It had to run the quarter mile in 15 seconds. And it had to be sold for less than $3,000, you know, at a base price. They had less than six months to get this car good to go for the production line. That's crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. I mean, I, I've never been involved on the back end of those kind of things, so I, I have no idea what goes into it. But I can only imagine the pressure involved. The car was going to be based off the newly restyled mid-sized B-body platforms, so your Belvedere's and your satellites. The 68 cars had already been released for production, so the Roadrunner was a late addition to that lineup, and these guys had a lot of work to do in a very short amount of time with a very limited budget. And it's funny because when Chrysler hired their ad agency, uh, Young and Rubicam, they had compiled a list of potential names for this vehicle. And at the top of their list, <laughs> at the top of their list, they had La Mancha. La Mancha. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God that Jack and his assistant Gordon Cherry already had a name that they were bringing to the table. So, La Mancha was quickly thrown out, and Roadrunner would take its place. Now, Gordon Cherry, Jack's assistant, actually came up with the idea to use the Roadrunner name while watching cartoons with his kids. He realized that the car that they were planning shared similar characteristics with the Roadrunner cartoon bird. It was fast, it was unbeatable, and it could stop on a dime. So without hesitation, they reserved the name with the Automobile Manufacturers Association, the AMA, which means that no one else could come up and steal the name. So it was theirs to use. Once they had the name reserved, they reached out to Warner Brothers, and after a six-hour meeting, they struck a deal somewhere in the neighborhood of $50,000 for the rights to use the bird. They had some negotiating leverage on Warner Brothers because they had the name already reserved and the Roadrunner name wasn't actually intellectual property of Warner Brothers because they didn't actually make the bird up. They only created the Roadrunner character. So Chrysler was simply negotiating the use of the imagery of Warner Brothers' cartoon bird because a Roadrunner is a real bird. So they really had no negotiation leverage as far as, well, we're the only ones 
you know, it's our way or the highway. Chrysler said, hey, we can take the name still. We just would like to use your imagery. So they struck a deal and, you know, the rest is pretty much history. Could you imagine if that car was named La Mancha? Oh, God. Thank you. Thank you that it's not. Sometimes you hear about these car manufacturers and the names that they almost named cars. And you're like, wow, you dodged a bullet there. (laughs) This was one of those cases. Roadrunner is one billion times better than La Mancha. La Mancha sounds like the name of a Mexican restaurant or something. (laughs) Uh, But not everyone at Chrysler was hip on the whole Roadrunner idea. Enter Dick McAdam, Chrysler Plymouth styling director. Apparently, at one point, he said, uh, before the Roadrunner went into production, he said, nobody will ever put a cartoon bird on one of his cars. (laughs) And that kind of sums up how ridiculous the whole thing was in the first place. A good concept. I'll give it that. But if, if I was a suit at one of these large corporations, like if I'm an automobile manufacturer, and one of my program directors came to me and said, hey, we want to create a car based on a cartoon bird, I probably would have fired him. But that's why I'm not (laughs) in that kind of position. So props to Jack for pushing this forward. So you know, if I had to say anything to Dick McAdam, I'd probably say, hey, how'd that work out for you, Dick? Because <laughs> the Roadrunner was a success. But that hasn't happened yet. It worked out pretty good because Dick McAdam eventually became open to the idea and actually picked out the image that would actually be used on the car. My only gripe was that he picked the black and white drawing, which was most likely the lamest sample of the stack of drawings that they got from Warner Brothers. So he picked the lamest one. It's like, come on, the black and white one, dude? Talking about cartoons. You know, but thankfully in the following years, they fully embraced the Roadrunner character and the full color versions eventually ended up on the Roadrunners. Originally, the decals were going to be placed in the glove box with installation instructions since it wasn't a big hit with McAdam. But During a preview of the 68 model year cars for a small group of dealers, Jack had somebody from his staff throw some impromptu decals on the pre-production Roadrunner behind the higher-ups' backs. It wasn't supposed to have those. (laughs) So it ended up being a success, and they made the decision that day to put the decals on the car at the factory. So quick thinking on Jack's part. And we all got the bird that we know and love today. So for power, the Roadrunner came standard with a 335 horsepower 383 that was unique to the car since it used a 440 camshaft from the 440 Super Commando of the GTX just for that little extra oomph. And I believe they added a little bit more compression as well. The only engine option available for the Roadrunner besides the standard 383 would cost $714. It's a lot of money back then if you consider the fact that the car 
was supposed to be sold for under $3,000 as a base price. But if you were to spend that $714, you'd end up with the legendary elephant, the 426 Hemi, under the hood. Standard transmission would be a four on the floor. And the Torque Flight Automatic 727, that was an option. So the, the car was essentially built with parts that Chrysler already had at their disposal, with one exception. The infamous horn. The car had to sound the part. I mean, you can't call a car a roadrunner if it doesn't say, me, me. You can't do that. You don't do that. It's got to go, me, me. You know, me, me. <laughs> I haven't perfected that impression, so I apologize for that. <laughs> so they had to contact their horn suppliers and see who could replicate the sound of the bird. And only one of them was able to do so. And when it was all said and done, it only cost them 40 cents per horn over the factory horn cost. So that was a pretty good deal. Um, they did have one more additional cost, and it was less than $250 for retooling a new bracket so the horn would actually mount correctly into the new body style. So I'd say it was money well spent on one of the most iconic horns in automotive history. And the Roadrunner ended up being a smash hit, even transcending its intended target market. It wasn't just youngsters buying these cars. It was everybody. In its first year, around 45,000 Roadrunners were sold, and maybe if they had been able to increase production, far more of these cars would have made their way onto the streets. And consequently, far more would be available for people like us to find them, save them, and get them back on the road. But that's pretty much the story of the Roadrunner. You know, Dodge, it's funny because uh, they were kicking around the idea of a, a budget performance car, and they're like, nah, nah, nah. We're going to go ahead and leave that to you guys and watch you fail. You know, because they didn't, they didn't think that it would be as big of a success as it was. And when they saw what happened with the Roadrunner, they said, oh, well, <laughs> maybe we should do it too. <laughs> And in mid-1968, the Super B was created. Also, a budget performance car based on the B-Body platform. Needless to say, the 1968 Roadrunner was a giant, giant success. And to this day, it remains one of the most iconic cars in not only Mopar history, but automotive history. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I hope you'll join me on the next one. I'm your host, Chris Albrecht better known as the Mopar Hunter, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.